verse 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll also be on the screen behind me. It says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And then if you flip a few pages to Proverbs 15, 15, we're also going to read this verse this morning. Proverbs 15, 15 says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Amen. You may be seated at this time. I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and you picked a really good Sunday morning to come and be with us as we go through the book of Proverbs. It has a very, very practical advice for us this morning. But before we get to that, um, I wanted to sort of pay an homage to uh, one of my favorite TV shows back in the day, which was Family Feud. Have you guys ever seen this show before? I'm a big fan of Family Feud. I've wasted a lot of time in my life watching episodes of that show. And I would watch um, the Steve Harvey version. I really liked Steve Harvey before he became an internet sensation by saying the wrong winner of the beauty pageant. But if you've never seen uh, Family Feud before, basically the premise is um, that they'll survey people, just normal people, and they'll try to find uh, sort of what are the most common answers to these survey questions. And so if you're a contestant on the show, uh, what you have to do is basically try to guess what the number one response was. And typically the questions had to do with things that, that went together, just things that we normally associate with each other. So I wanted to do a little experiment this morning and uh, put us on a game show. There's no problem. But I want us to do three questions this morning and see how we do as a church. And so uh, I'm going to put the question on the screen and feel free to participate just a little bit. Uh, We're going to try to find what is the number one answer to this uh, survey question. So this is the first one. Besides sand, name something you need to make a sandcastle with. All right, we have bucket. Water. Okay, so we're trying to find the number one answer. So who says the number one answer to this survey is going to be bucket? Okay, who thinks that the number one answer is going to be water? All right, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the water has it. Survey says water was the number one answer. Good job. Bucket was number two, so you're on the right track if you guessed that. All right, n- the next one. Name something you'd find in almost every room of a house. We have a door, we have light bulb, anything else? A Bible? All right, so who says a door is number one answer? Just Matt and a few people, sorry. Okay, who says a light is a number one answer? All right, we'll, we'll do it. Survey says light, number one answer. Number two answer was a window, so that was okay. So number three, the third one, this one's probably easier. Name a kind of cookie people love to dunk in milk. All right, so who says Oreos? <laughs> who says chocolate chip? All right, I think the Oreos have it. Survey says chocolate chip, number one answer. So give yourselves a round of applause. I appreciate you being in my uh, experiment this morning. But anyway, I, I love Family Feud, and I bring that up because I feel like they did a really good job of showing that we just normally associate things together in life. You've got cookies in milk. You have Houston in heat. You have peanut butter and jelly. These things just go together in life. 
And one pair, I'm a pastor, so I always got to connect everything to the gospel and the Christian life, right? It's what we do. Anyway, so, but what we do is we, I think one pair that's supposed to go together is joy in the Christian life. They're made for each other. Like in the Christian life, joy and contentment is supposed to be a perk of being a follower of Jesus. If you've done any sort of study in the Bible, you'll see that the Bible uses the word joy over 200 times. Over 200 times in the ESV translation, the word joy is used. To not have joy in the Christian life is like missing out on a perk that you are entitled to. And I was trying to think, what what is not having joy in the Christian life like? This is what I think. Not having joy in the Christian life is like working at Macy's without the discount. Like working as a teacher without summer vacation, like being in a marriage without intimacy, like having a lake house and never using it, and lastly but not least, like having bags of Avid coffee but never drinking them. That's my plug to Avid coffee this morning. Having joy is an important perk of the Christian life. And in fact, I'm going to raise the stakes a little bit and say that joy is more than a perk, it's a command. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, God commands us to be joyful always. And yet this morning, I think if we're honest, at least if I'm being honest with myself, joy does not seem like a normal part of the Christian life. I feel like the normal part of the Christian life is to grind and to work hard. And sometimes it feels like God is up in his throne in heaven you know, where everything's awesome and great, and we're down here in this world, which is terrible in a lot of ways, and God's telling us, you need to be joyful down there. I know it's rough, but you need to be joyful. It's a command. And that's what I feel like we think of sometimes. Joy seems like a scarce commodity. Like money, joy seems hard to get and easy to lose. I've entitled today's message, How to Recover Joy in Your Life Every Time. Because I feel like it's very easy to lose joy. It seems hit or miss. It seems sporadic. It seems occasional. It seems fragile. Like if things are going well in your life, you have joy. And if things are not going well, you don't have joy. This is what it feels like in the Christian life. And I feel like this morning, if I were to get up here and I were to only tell you to be joyful always, you need to do it. It's a command. And then I walked off stage and that was the sermon that that would not be very helpful to you, right? Because the longer I've been a pastor, the longer that I've been able to get to know you guys a little bit more. And I know that there are people in this room, I know that there are mothers in this room who have sick kids and they haven't slept for the past five days. I know that in this room there are people who are in their 20s and maybe in a season of uncertainty, maybe a season of singleness. And it's hard for me to get up here and say, you need to have joy. Just do it. It's a command. You can't do it at will. Maybe you're a husband or you're a father and you work hard during the day or maybe night shift or whatever it is. I'm going to tell you in the middle of your shift that you need to have joy. God commands it. It's hard for me to do because we can't just turn it on on a whim. I feel like if we think of church as a hospital for the sick, most of us could probably be diagnosed with a joy deficiency. And I feel like there are two unhealthy ways that we try to approach this joy deficiency in our life. And the first way is probably not where most of you are at, but it's where I'm at. So I'm going to list that first. Most of the time, for me, I think I don't need joy in my life. 
Joy's hard to come by. I don't need it. I'm, I'm going to work hard. I got that sweat equity. So for me, reading the Bible is a duty. And prayer is a duty. And coming to church is my Christian duty. And if I get joy for it, good. But I got to do it. The Bible commands it. I feel like that's one way that we look at joy. Now, the second way where probably most of us are at most of the time, we're constantly seeking a joy high. Right? So we are trying to attach our joy to certain circumstances, and we end up on the joy of Ferris wheel. That's what I like to think of it as, the joy Ferris wheel. When our circumstances are going well, our joy is through the roof. And when our circumstances are not going well, our joy is in the depths. This is where most of us are like. It feels like for much of our life we are looking for joy. And if you're on a quest for joy this morning, or you feel like the joy that that should be in your life as a Christian is not there, I want to lovingly lead you along the way and show you that there is no such thing as a joyless Christianity. That God provides to us the avenue and the path to joy. And I want to help you recover it this morning if you've lost it. So if you would, turn back with me to Proverbs 15, 15. And we're going to look at this verse together. It says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, meaning full of trouble in this context. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. What I love about the Bible And I love a lot of things about the Bible. But what I love about the Bible is that it is the most honest book out there. That the Bible does not shy away from the fact that in this life you will have trouble. Like it's not a fairy tale story. The Bible says you're going to have trouble in life. It says all the days of the afflicted are evil. Life is hard. To live is to suffer. And to live as a Christian is especially meaning to suffer. We experience real and painful things in life, and the Bible knows that, acknowledges that. But the Bible also has hope. Look at the second part of the verse. It says, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. That there is hope. That there is a way for you to have continual joy in your life and a continual feasting, regardless of whether your external circumstances are good are bad. And if you feel like you've lost your joy this morning, then I want to tenderly speak over you a wonderful truth that I've discovered in my own life. This idea that Christian joy can never be lost, only buried. That Christian joy in your life can never be totally lost. It can only be buried. And what I mean by buried is it can be buried under anxiety that you have or worry that you have. It can be buried under sin in your life and just buried under the weight of all those things. It can be buried under these things like rocks. They seem to pile up on our joy and it feels like it's gone forever. But if you feel like that this morning, then I want to speak very personally to you, but also from the word that it's not lost. It's just buried and it needs to be dug up with the right tools. That's what I want to show you this morning, how to excavate your joy. That's kind of the picture I have. If joy is buried under the rocks of this life, then I want to help you excavate your joy. And ironically, it can be a painful process. 
Because in order to excavate joy and in order to get it back, you have to do hard things. Like stepping out in faith and believing in God's promises. That's a hard thing to do when times are hard. But what you also have to do is you have to repent of sin. And that's hard. Because sin is one of the things that buries joy in your life. You also may even have to embrace the trials in your life. Embrace the circumstances that God has put you in. Digging up joy is hard to do. So I invite you into the minds with me this morning. And I want to help you dig up your joy back into your life. So we're going to look at two more verses here. And you can turn them. It'll also be on the screen. Proverbs 10.28 will be our first one. And then we're going to flip over to the Psalms. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. Uh, But let's look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28. It says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So we're going to focus primarily here in this moment on that first part. The hope of the righteous brings joy, because that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, And then we're going to read Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. And you can turn there if you want. This is a very beautiful psalm. Um, Psalm 92, verse 1 through 4. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. These are just instruments that they played back in the day. And here's the last verse. This is the kicker. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. As one of your pastors... And as someone who wants you to have joy in this life and who feels responsible for bringing joy into your life from a pastoral standpoint, the first thing I would advise you to do is resurface joy by remembering and hoping. Resurface joy in your life by remembering and hoping. And what I mean by that is remembering the good things that God has done in your life in the past And also hoping in the promises of God that are in the Bible. And there are thousands of them that we miss every single day. Because like I said before, I can't tell you to be joyful at will. I can't just command you to turn it on and to be happy and to be joyful. But instead, I can point you to these things that draw up joy in your heart. And one of those things is remembering and one of those is uh, hoping in the future. So a quick story, Um, a few years ago we had a small group in our church of of some of us young adults and we got together and I was tasked with the um, um, responsibility of writing down all the prayer requests. Is this anyone's role in their community group? You're the one who has to write down everyone's prayer request, right? And so you, you write them down and typically we write them down, we'll send them out during the week, we pray for each other and that's sort of all that we do. But at the very end of our community group, we were only meeting for the summer or something like that. At the very end of the group, I got this huge, um, I don't know if it's a whiteboard or like a sticky note or something like that. And I began to write down all the prayer requests that we had had over the course of the small group. I've never done this before. I don't typically write down my prayer requests. Can you remember something that you prayed three months ago? I never remember that stuff, right? I pray it and then I forget about it. But during this exercise, I wrote down not only my own prayer request, but I wrote down everyone's prayer requests, and I began to follow up with everyone, and I began to say, what happened with that? 
And to my surprise and to my wonder, I was able to say, after going through each of them, answered, 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 answered. And even the ones that weren't answered, the people had a peace about it. And they knew that God was going to take care of them, that, that God had been faithful in each and every one of the prayer requests that we had. I wonder if you've ever done that in your life before. Have you ever taken note of all the countless blessings that God has poured out over your life? This is one way to surface joy. You see, your emotions, is that the visceral emotions, the primal emotions are tied to your circumstances. But hope keeps the past and future in mind. That's what joy does. It keeps past and future in mind. The ability to remember and hope are, God's, are gifts of God in your life, and yet we almost never use them. When we're going through hard times, the only thing in front of our face are the hard times, and it's hard for us to remember past and future. And let me show you why this is so ridiculous, and I'm guilty of it sometimes myself. So here's a picture. This is my uh, beautiful nephew, uh, Nathan. He's about a year old, I think. And this is Nathan that I captured. This is a very um, a candid shot. I cat him in a mid-temper um, tantrum. He's been sick over the past few days, and so I caught him uh, here. He's been sick, and uh, I remember actually the other day, Emily, uh, his mother, was holding him, and he was right here, and I remember he just like spewed all over her shoulder. I'm talking, it was just like dripping down her shoulder, and I was like sitting on the couch, right, and I told Emily, you know the Bible says you're supposed to have joy, you know, and I felt like that was a good moment to point that out to her. But anyway, she, she's holding him, and it's dripping down and all that kind of stuff, and Nathan's been sick, and it got me thinking about this sermon. And here's Nathan, right? And he's got snot coming down his face, and he's just having the worst day of his life. Nathan has no ability to remember the past and no ability to hope in the future, right? To him, his present circumstances are his absolute reality. Like when he's sick and when he's crying and when he's spewing, that's all he knows. He has no ability to remember the thousands of times that his parents fed him, changed his diaper, sang him to sleep, held him and cuddled him. They have no ability to remember that. And he doesn't even know that that's not going to be forever, that this is a temporary thing. And it seems ridiculous for Nathan to throw that much of a temper tantrum over something that's only going to last a few days. And yet we ourselves as adults do this so, so often in our lives in relation to God. Things are going so hard and we throw these temper tantrums, totally forgetting that how much God has done in the past. Totally forgetting that the Bible is full of promises for our future. If you want joy in your life, you have to remember and you have to hope. That's how you draw it up. Like, I don't know all the things that God's done in your life, but I know that you're here. You're listening to the word preached. You seem in pretty good health. I think for my own life, God has fed me over the past 11,000 days of my life. He's answered a thousand prayers to get me through classes at school. He healed me when I seriously injured my leg. He answered a prayer for me to help preach the sermon, and the list goes on and on and on. Think back to that psalm. He said, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. So this, mo uh, this morning, if you feel like you have a joy deficiency, 
resurface joy in your life by remembering and hoping in the Lord. Write things down. Whether it's things God's done for you or the promises of God in the Bible, I promise you that that exercise will draw up joy in your heart. Secondly, resurface joy through obedience to God. Resurface joy in your life through obedience to God. Don't let joylessness be an excuse to pull away from God and to pull away from the church. Because ironically, I feel like the church is supposed to be the place that you go to when you need God the most. And yet it feels like sometimes we tend to go to church more and we tend to go to God more when things are going well. But when things don't go well, we like to pull away and we like to pull away from God and pull away from the church. But this morning, my encouragement to you is during hard times, don't use that as an excuse to not obey God. That in the obedience, in the pressing on comes joy. Let me show you what I mean out of the Psalms. Psalm 40 verse 8 says this. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. This is amazing. This is amazing. And let me tell you why this is amazing. Because this verse, when he says, I take joy in doing your will, what that does is it takes joy out of something that we can't control, which is our circumstances, right? And it pins joy to something we can control which is our faith and our obedience to God. And I would much, much rather have my joy tied to something that I can control as opposed to something that I cannot control. So this morning, I encourage you, obedience leads to joy. Obedience to God, even when things are hard, leads to joy. Let me give you an example, and it comes out of Luke chapter 2. And uh, you may not know this story because honestly this story gets sort of uh, distracted by Jesus coming to earth and for his birth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But basically in this story, Jesus is taken by his parents, Mary and Joseph. They take him, as was the Jewish custom, up to Jerusalem to be dedicated and circumcised at the temple. And while he was being dedicated, there was a woman at the temple named Anna. Have you guys heard of Anna before? You've read the story out of Luke chapter 2. We don't think about it that much, but to me, it's a very beautiful story in relation to joy. So this was Anna. Anna was 84 years old, I believe, when this story happened. And basically, she was married for seven years, and and then her husband died. And for the rest of her life, for multiple decades, she lived as a widow. And I can imagine if maybe I was in that situation that I might be angry at God, right? That God had taken this joyful thing in my life and feel like he had left me with nothing. And yet this is what Anna does in the story. It says she lived as a widow to the age of 84. And it says she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Talk about a super Christian right there, right? She had had this devastating thing happen in her life, and yet her response to that was to go to the temple and to praise God. And I can imagine maybe at year 28 or 33 of doing that, wondering if God was ever going to rekindle some sort of joy in her life. I can imagine it would have been hard. But then in Luke chapter 2, it says that as Jesus was being dedicated, Anna came out of the temple. 
And what followed was probably the most climactic moment of her entire life in which she saw the savior of the world held in the arms of human people. And in that moment, it says this, that she praised God. I can imagine her saying, praise God, for he's finally sent his savior into the world. I don't know how long it's going to take for you to recover joy. It's not always instantaneous. But I encourage you, if you're in a season of your life where things are hard, or it feels like God is distant, I encourage you to continue to follow after him. Don't try to shortcut joy by running to sin. It never works. Instead, persist on in obedience. That obedience in dry seasons is a way to dig up joy in your life. I think that if you do this, you will be blessed. And lastly, this morning, it's probably the most gritty part of the sermon. I'm going to get the most raw, the most gritty. I think it's going to take us to a place that many of us don't want to go. But if you want joy, you must make sorrow your servant. If you want joy in your life, you must make sorrow your servant. And this is totally counter to what the world says, and yet we see it in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, over and over and over again. That God has ordained a role of suffering in your life, and that role is to bring you closer to God. Over and over and over in the Psalms, you have people who go to God when they're brokenhearted, when they're weeping, where they're going through hard times, and yet they go to God and they say, you are the king of the earth. If you're grieving or you're suffering this morning, you may not realize that God has a specific joy for you if you go to him in times of suffering. That in fact, God has a specific blessing for you if you go to him in times of suffering that he does not have for you and he does not have for us who are going through good times. That there is a unique blessing if you go to God if, during hard times. Like the door to this type of joy only opens during the night. Like I wonder this morning if you would be willing to use your sorrows as excuses to run toward God and not away from him. Like I feel like, and I speak personally here, not even as a pastor, but just as someone who has suffered in life, I feel like there's a special sort of sweetness. When I go to God, and I'm broken, and I'm like, God, you got to do something. Right? Like, God, do something. I, I'm broken. I need help. The world, my, my world is crumbling around me, and I need you. I think it's in those moments when we're on our knees before the Father that he gives us a special kind of peace. That's what I encourage you to have this morning. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to encourage you, not by telling you that you have to be joyful, it's a command for you in your life, but instead I want to lead you to the paths of joy remembering, by hoping, by walking in obedience regardless of how hard it gets, and also by going to God even in the midst of suffering and making that suffering serve you instead of you serving at its whim.
And the last thing I want to say this morning, and the reason that I believe that you can have joy today, is that Jesus purchased your joy, and nothing is allowed to take it away. Jesus has purchased your joy, and nothing is allowed to take it away. And the reason I can say that is it's John 16, 22, which is one of the most amazing verses that I've ever seen in the Bible. Right before Jesus died and was portrayed, he said this to his followers. He says, so also now you have sorrow. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. That's why I'm sure that your joy can't be lost. It was purchased by Christ on the cross. And sometimes it feels like people in this world or circumstances in this world or the things in this world can take our joy from us. Whether it's Satan, whether it's just hardship. But the truth for you this morning and the truth for me this morning is that they can't take it away from us. They can only bury it. But with the right tools, we can dig it up. When I think about the gospel... And we're a gospel-centered church, and so we preach the gospel every single week. When I think about the gospel, I think about the fact that we had joy, but we traded joy for sin, right? Like we thought that sin and the things of this world were going to bring us joy, and so we happily traded the joy we had in God for the things of this world. And when I think of God in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, and when I think about his amazing goodness, I picture Jesus Christ flying into the jaws of death and retrieving for us joy in this life. And I'm a visual person, right? So I visualize Jesus standing in front of us, scars on his back, a blood-soaked robe, holes in his hands, maybe a bloodied face, a crown of thorns. And in his hand, he has our joy, and he's handing it back to us, saying, this belongs to you, and no one can take it away. So I want you to believe that this morning, White Oak. That you can have joy in this life, and it will be incomplete because one day we'll be in heaven and we'll have total joy. But God offers that joy to us right now in this life. So as one of your pastors, I want to pray over you. And I believe that God will resurface joy in your life. So if you will bow your heads right now in faith, I will pray over us that we would all walk in this newness of life, this newness of joy called the gospel. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good. And we are so broken. God, we go through hard things in this life. We go through pain and loss, that there's a thing in this life that exists called death that we have to experience happening around us and that we have to experience ourselves, Lord, and it's terrible. We have to experience sickness. And we have to experience loss of jobs and we have to experience other people hurting us in different ways. We have to experience the brokenness of sin, Lord, and it just adds up, it piles on. This morning, we stand on the rock of your promises. And this morning, I pray over these people that your word would be true and that when it says that their joy cannot be taken away from them. 
So I pray, Father, that we would use the means of grace, that we would remember and that we would hope and that we would walk in obedience and that we would see sorrow. We would say, how is this serving and making me more like Christ? I do pray that you would deliver us out of the circumstances of our life. As John said, I pray that you would part the seas, if that's your will, Lord, but I also pray that you would just bring us through the turbulent waters, if that's what you want for us. We love you, and we believe in your gospel this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.